Cancer Advances, a Cleveland Clinic podcast for medical professionals, exploring the latest innovative research and clinical advances in the field of oncology. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Cancer Advances. I'm your host, Dr. Dale Shepard, a medical oncologist here at Cleveland Clinic overseeing our TOSIC Phase 1 and sarcoma programs. Today, I'm happy to be joined by Dr. Peter Rasmussen, a cerebrovascular surgeon here at Cleveland Clinic and chief clinical officer of Virtual Second Opinions by Cleveland Clinic. He's here today to talk to us about the benefits of virtual second opinions. So welcome, Peter. Oh, thanks for having me, Dale. It's my pleasure. Well, maybe start off, um, give us a little bit about your role here at Cleveland Clinic and then also with the Virtual Second Opinion service. You know, I'm, I'm probably one of the more lucky physicians here at Cleveland Clinic. I've, I've been here 23 years now, and I, I always seem to have exactly the perfect job for myself. And I don't know how that's happened, but... Um, as you mentioned, I've been uh, practicing cerebrovascular neurosurgery here for 23 years, which has really been quite a pleasure to help a great number of patients. And uh, over the years, um, starting back probably about 10, 12 years ago, uh, Toby Cosgrove, our former CEO, asked uh, me to work on telemedicine. And I did that for uh, six years um, uh, for the enterprise. Uh, we made some great progress getting the organization prepared for uh, COVID. Um, and then two and a half years ago, our current CEO, Tom Mihalovic, asked me to move over and work on this joint venture spin-out we have uh, called the Clinic by Cleveland Clinic, uh, which is really like an incubator for digital health products for the enterprise, uh, working in partnership with Amwell. And our first uh, product that we've gone to the market with is uh, Virtual Second Opinions, as you mentioned. How has it grown over, you know, since it became an idea to move to a virtual second opinion? How... What did that look like? You know, you kind of started from scratch, and this has developed into a pretty big program. It sort of started at scratch. The Cleveland Clinic has been doing remote second opinions uh, for probably the last 20 years. Um, it was very much, I guess I would characterize it as an analog program up until the last two to three years. And then we really revamped it, tried to make it more digital. As I mentioned, we moved it uh, out of uh, the Cleveland Clinic proper. So it gave us a little bit more nimbleness, made a little bit of an investment into it. Um, and we've tried to change our focus and strategy uh, of how we've gone to the market. Um, obviously, there are a large number of patients um, who are referred to us by their uh, local physicians, or perhaps they find us uh, independently through our web pages. Um, we've also focused uh, heavily on going to the payers uh, for uh, virtual second opinions. There's a strong desire amongst the payer and the self-insured employer market to really offer this as a benefit to their their members or their employees uh, that they have access to, you know, best-in-class uh, care. Obviously, that includes cancer care as, as part of this. Uh, since we've made these changes, uh, improved uh, user experience on the website, uh, going to the payers and the self-insured employers, we've seen a dramatic uh, growth in patients requesting uh, second opinions. And it's an entirely virtual program, as you've mentioned. So there's no barriers for patients to access expertise uh, of Cleveland Clinic physicians. We've tried to make the process the equivalent of hitting the easy button. Uh, so as uh, you know very well, those patients who are faced with uh, diagnoses of complex conditions like cancer, they frequently can have a plethora of medical records, uh, pathology specimens, and imaging that could be a daunting task for a patient to gather up those records themselves or have their family do that in the midst of a difficult diagnosis uh, like cancer. So we have a very skilled team that gets all the medical records for the patient, gathers up the imaging, uh, get the pathology for the patient, and then undle that up into a packet of information to pass on to experts like yourself. 
Uh, since we've brought this sort of premium level service to bear, uh, as I mentioned, the volume has grown dramatically. Uh, historically, we had been doing about 45 consults a month. Uh, last month, we went over 200 now. Wow, it's impressive. I, I think you can't underestimate that whole process of everything's gathered up for the patient, everything sort of takes place. And then when they have that interaction with the provider, we've already reviewed it, the path's been reviewed, everything. So, you know, too often people come in in person and we still may not have gotten the records or we may not have gotten path and things like that. So just that is, it's immensely helpful. So the team is quite skilled at it too. On average, we're able to get the full packet of medical records within about seven days. Uh, obviously, there's some variability about that. As you know, many uh, hospital medical record departments and film libraries have been short-staffed because of COVID. Uh, we work very hard despite uh, those barriers at, you know, at other hospitals to get the information uh, for our physicians. We have a wonderful relationship with uh, Cleveland Clinic uh, Pathology. Uh, if we can get the tissue blocks, uh, which what we strive for is to get the actual tissue blocks, uh, about a third of the time, our pathologists will do additional stains uh, in addition to what's been done locally. Uh, and they'll turn around that uh, interpretation of those tissue blocks or slides within less than 24 hours. Uh, so they've really uh, done a great job in uh, confirming or in many times changing the diagnoses of patients, which obviously can be very dramatic in a patient who has a cancer diagnosis. In particular, things like rare tumors. So I find that frequently in sarcomas. Somebody might say it's an angiosarcoma, but, well, maybe it's an angiosarcoma. So I think this uh, this has been really helpful for getting outreach to places where they may not have expertise in rare tumors. And one of the strengths or values of our program is the way we've structured it. Um, it allows for global access to experts like yourself. Frequently, uh, licensure barriers uh, may come into play. Uh, but as I mentioned, it's the way we've structured this. Patients from around the globe can uh, access our uh, our experts, like yourself, as you mentioned, sarcoma, uh, our pathologists are world-leading experts in uh, sarcoma uh, pathology interpretation. Like you said, it's not uncommon that uh, the diagnosis will be changed uh, based on uh, your and other experts' review. And um, patients don't need to travel, uh, which is important. Um, we get a number of requests out of Europe uh, for pediatric uh, tumors. You can imagine how distraught those parents may be. Uh, and to be able to uh, get their child in front of a world-leading expert without having to travel or the expense of that uh, time away from work, disruption to the family routine. I and mean, that's really, uh, you, how do you put a price on that? That's, you know, really an amazing service. But I mean, I, I guess another component of that is once that they've had that initial consultation, they've, they, they may know that we have something else to offer. Talk about conversion to visits here to Cleveland Clinic. Yeah, what we're seeing across the spectrum of uh, second opinions, and we all, we're willing to offer a second opinion on virtually any uh, diagnosis, uh, about a third of the time um, our physicians are changing the diagnosis, uh, which I think is pretty surprising. And up to 80% of the time we're seeing uh, different treatment recommendations. So it could be something as dramatic as perhaps uh, no surgery versus surgery, or perhaps delayed surgery uh, and further evaluation may be needed. Um, or in the cancer realm, uh, it's not uncommon that additional chemotherapeutic regimens are being recommended um, or future plans for chemotherapeutic regimens as there may be inevitable disease progression. Um, and then, of course, uh, there's the offering of uh, clinical trials uh, that are available at Cleveland Clinic where you may know of at other sites around the country. 
And, I, you know, I, I read many of these opinions as they come through. As a neurosurgeon, I find uh, the hope that is offered by additional options really is uh, gratifying and has got to be immensely valuable to the patients. An important part of cancer care is multidisciplinary um, involvement, surgery or radiation in addition to things like chemotherapy. How, how have you been able to work sort of multidisciplinary opinions into this program? And we've done it several different ways. Our program is really structured and designed to answer key questions for the patients. Uh, many times that might be additional chemotherapeutic options. It might be a surgery an option for me. It might be, is there a different type of radiation or is radiation a good treatment option for myself? So we'll try to get those uh, patients to those uh, particular experts. Uh, it's not uncommon, though, that experts like yourself might say, you know, we really should have a surgeon weigh in uh, on this patient's uh, uh, case or we should have the radiation therapists weigh in, or uh, perhaps uh, our experts may take the patient's case to the uh, a disease-specific tumor board uh, for a group evaluation um, around uh, what would be the best treatment options for the patient. Uh, and that's also been a service that we've gone to uh, self-insured employers and payers with, uh, is the idea of uh, out-of-the-box, really a multidisciplinary approach to the patients and, and their uh, concern. Uh, so there's a variety of different avenues that we can offer that multidisciplinary opinion for patients. I'm going to take a step back here just so everyone's kind of on the same page. Payers certainly self-employed or self-insured rather employers define sort of an example of that and in, in groups that we might be working with. Uh, so as an example, uh, we have contracted to provide virtual second opinions to a union uh, here in the Midwest. Um, and a fair number of uh, patients have uh, sought second opinions uh, through that through that process. Uh, historically, what we're seeing is about 0.5% uh, of members uh, who are eligible for the benefit uh, use a virtual second opinion uh, on an annual basis. I guess it's good and bad. That may reflect the fact that uh, complex disease is relatively rare. Uh, it also may reflect the fact that the service is underutilized uh, and may be more valuable um, more frequently than it's actually being uh, being sought. So we're, we've sort of focused on cancer, but um, what other areas with the second opinion service have, have been particularly popular within medicine? And we do offer second opinions really for any diagnosis. So what we've seen here is about 50% uh, of the requests have been for cardiac uh, issues. Uh, cancer would be the second most frequently request second opinion. Uh, and then after that, it would be a tie probably between neurologic disease and um, GI diseases. And I guess from a very uh, very practical standpoint, how do people go about getting a second opinion? So patients can initiate them directly themselves through the Cleveland Clinic website. Um, just look for virtual second opinions uh, on the uh, on the landing page. Uh, it's a simple registration process of uh, essentially name and uh, telephone number and uh, email address, um, and then they can schedule a time uh, with an intake nurse um, who's very skilled at uh, working with patients. Or they can, at that moment, uh, if it's during uh, usual working hours, they can initiate a, uh, the process with uh, one of our nurses as well. As I mentioned, within uh, five to seven days, we'll usually have the medical records uh, together. Uh, and our physicians have been fantastic in turning these opinions around. Uh, usually within about 48 hours of receiving the records, uh, they'll be uh, chatting either by telephone or video uh, with the patient directly. Uh, the other, and the patients obviously have an opportunity to ask their qu additional questions at that time. Uh, and then we do give a summary document uh, back to the patient that they can share 
uh, with their local physicians. Uh, I think the other thing that's important to uh, remember for some of the listeners is that, Dale, as you and I both know, we're employed physicians of the Cleveland Clinic. We have no financial incentive in trying to lure patients uh, to uh, Cleveland for, uh, for further and follow-up care. Really, our goal is to give patients the best opinion on uh, what they can do now and in the future. Um, and it's not uncommon that um, our physicians recommend continuing care locally with their physicians, um, or if there's other experts uh, nearby that they may need to uh, get additional subspecialty care from, you know, and that, that recommendation happens quite frequently too. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. I mean, even patients that come by traditional means to my clinic, most of my consults end up going back to their local communities for their actual care. So this is just a way to provide that same level of consultation, but without them leaving their living room. It's a nice feature. Exactly. It's, it's very convenient for patients. Uh, we have very high uh, patient satisfaction scores through this program. I think reflection of the high quality physicians and the great work they do with their opinions, uh, our nurse care team uh, in terms of uh, helping uh, the patients uh, through their journey, uh, the second opinion, um, which can be an important component of their overall cancer journey. Um, and we really pride ourselves on uh, delivering a, a premium, uh, high-quality service for patients. I mean, the the opinions I've given in the past, some have been written, some by phone, some by video. And clearly the best interactions are by phone or video because you have that ability to have patients ask questions kind of in real time. And, and that's what we hear from patients as well. They, they really enjoy being ha having the opportunity to uh, talk directly to our experts. You know, there are other second opinion programs that are available uh, from other academic health centers, or from commercial vendors of second opinions, our program really stands head and shoulders above them in the sense that patients have an opportunity to talk to experts like yourself directly, which is pretty rare amongst the other programs. Do you find that uh, most are coming through patients that are seeking out those second opinions? How often is it the physicians that are kind of looking for some extra help? Uh, what does that split look like? Yeah, I would say most of the requests are coming directly from uh, the patients. Um, there, there are some uh, physicians who will recommend their patient, perhaps, you know, things like sarcoma, as you mentioned. Um, you know, you should seek a second opinion from uh, Cleveland Clinic. A second opinion can be initiated uh, really by anyone. Um, you know, it can be the patient. Um, in our relationships with the payers, uh, frequently their care managers uh, will assist the patient with initiating the second opinion. Overseas, uh, with our relationships we have there, uh, a lot of physicians are initiating the second opinions on behalf of their patients. Uh, we're really open for uh, any way of uh, just being able to help patients. And it seems like that's one of the bigger areas of growth is more international uh, coverage of, of various diseases, which is great because it's particularly rare diseases. There are oftentimes aren't local experts. So um, are there particular areas that we have a strong footprint or that we're looking to expand into? Uh, currently, we do have relationships in many, many different countries. Probably the most frequent uh, international location for second opinion requests is coming from Canada. We're working to grow our uh, business in South America. Uh, we do have a relatively underutilized resource in uh, Weston, uh, where there are extremely high quality uh, Cleveland Clinic experts uh, in Weston that um, uh, patients from South America can get to quite easily, as you know. Uh, we do have strong relationships in China and India and Indonesia. The challenges uh, with China can be a little bit uh, specific. Uh, there's fairly heavily regulated uh, international access to care, if you will, through China. We have solved that uh, with a, a particular uh, technology and um, business partner that we work with uh, in China. I think it's still obviously tremendously underutilized. 
One of the things we hear very frequently out of China is the quality of the pathologic interpretation services. Uh, and I know Cleveland Clinic as a whole is uh, a network of uh, connections into uh, many health systems in China to help them with their pathology interpretation as well. I think one of the things in, in other countries sometimes becomes availability of therapies that might be more common here, particularly if you start looking at managing metastatic recurrent disease. So um, it's certainly, certainly workable. What about coverage? You, you mentioned more, more payers are taking this on as a, as a product that they cover, but um, in general, what does coverage look like? As it stands right now, for, for the most part, um, if this is not a specific benefit from the uh, patient's insurance coverage. It's, it's really a cash service. Uh, fortunately, commercial payers are recognizing that uh, this is a cost-effective solution for their members, uh, in addition to really being uh, the right thing. A key value proposition is, uh, you know, gaining access to Cleveland Clinic expertise without the need to travel. Uh, from a payer perspective, they're recognizing that paying for care for the wrong diagnosis or the wrong treatment plan is just money wasted. We've done a pretty careful analysis of this that was adjudicated by an independent third party uh, that uh, when we change diagnosis or we change treatment plan, uh, on average, the payers are saving $12,000. Uh, so not only are patients getting what would, we would deem to be the right diagnosis and the uh, best treatment plan, which is you know usually guideline-directed therapy, that uh, everyone wins, right? The patients are getting the right diagnosis, the best treatment, and the payers are saving money as well. Uh, so th that's really becoming recognized uh, amongst the payer community. Um, we ha have contract with a number of payers and have ongoing negotiations with a number of payers right now. And you're also seeing this in... Uh, the marketplace, um, you know, recently Transcarent um, is a startup uh, health company that's come to market uh, with a cancer-specific program uh, where they're uh, selling uh, a cancer longitudinal care journey for their members directly to the self-insured employers. I mean, I think the employers are recognizing that uh, accessing care through traditional means is a little bit challenging for their members and they want to bring a little... A, a little bit of higher level service um, uh, to their employees and or their members. Well, this has uh, certainly been growing in, in a big way and provides a great service. What what do you see are the biggest gaps that need to be sort of overcome to make this even more uh, more accessible to patients and a, and a better for their care? A couple things. <laughs> Obviously, um, uh, you know, offering a concierge-like experience for patients um, uh, does come with a little bit of a cost. Um, and um, many of the uh, insurance companies uh, are not willing to, uh, you know, cover this unless it's a specific benefit. So that's somewhat of a barrier. Uh, but really, from a technical standpoint, the biggest barrier is uh, the old uh, problems in uh, digital healthcare, which is uh, medical record interoperability. Uh, those who work in Epic as an electronic health record recognize that they've done a pretty good job at making those records portable amongst the Epic uh, health system community. Uh, but once you cross from EHR to EHR, uh, there's really no good way of doing that. Uh, becomes quite a challenge for uh, patients uh, and or health systems uh, to access those records. Images are a little bit more portable. Uh, there's a large number of cloud-based image sharing solutions that are uh, many health systems subscribe to. Uh, so through a little bit of uh, connection work, uh, the images generally will transmit uh, through the cloud. But even in these regards and uh, with the positive aspects of 
HIPAA, the portability aspect of medical records supported by HIPAA, the, you know, the need to share releases um, for medical information, you know, really slows, uh, slows the process down. Well, you're making uh, great progress to, to help our patients, and I appreciate your insights. Thanks for the time, Dale. I appreciate it. To make a direct online referral to our Toxic Cancer Institute, complete our online cancer patient referral form by visiting clevelandclinic.org slash cancer patient referrals. You will receive confirmation once the appointment is scheduled. This concludes this episode of Cancer Advances. You will find additional podcast episodes on our website, clevelandclinic.org slash cancer advances podcast. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, SoundCloud, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And don't forget, you can access real-time updates from Cleveland Clinic's Cancer Center experts on our Consult QD website at consultqd.clevelandclinic.org cancer. Thank you for listening. Please join us again soon.